0: It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. Today, we continue our series on why cancer research needs engineering. Our guest is Keshe Kesavaitis. He's a professor of industrial and enterprise systems engineering and the director of the Healthcare Engineering Systems Center at the University of Illinois. He has been at the forefront of virtual reality and its application to medicine since 1993. He developed the 1st standalone virtual reality robotic surgical simulator called Ross and was honored as the inventor of the year in western New York in 2004. The engineer-in-chief of the Jump Arches collaborative partnership between the University of Illinois College of Engineering and healthcare providers at OSF Healthcare in Peoria, joins us to talk about robotic surgery and its impact on treating cancer patients. Well, first of all, just just talk about robotic surgery in in, uh, general and how it's just has changed surgery in the 21st century. Hi, Uh, robotic surgery
1: have been around for about 10, 15 years now. And what that has done is uh, it has improved the uh, precision with. Uh, which the surgeons can uh, perform surgery like uh, removing a tumor for example um, and even in some very complex procedures like uh, uh, changing uh, your joints in your leg and hip and things like that. So what robotic surgery did was it took existing Uh, surgical techniques like laparoscopic surgery uh, and minimally invasive surgery and converted that uh, into uh, a procedure where robots are now performing the surgery while the surgeon is controlling the robots uh, remotely. Uh, Because of this uh, uh, gap now between the robot and the surgeons uh, the computer comes in between them And these computers can do a lot of amazing things, like for example, uh, remove any tremor that may be in the surgeon's hand, for instance, and uh, help in scaling of the surgical tools, which means that the surgeon can do more precise surgery. Uh, This has really become uh, a big uh, impact on how many different procedures are being done. Like for example, uh, Prostatectomy, which is a surgery quite often um, uh, done on men, uh, prost- uh, prostate removal today, almost 80% of all the surgery in US is performed using a robot.
0: So talk about the uh, instrument you have behind you there, that uh, the robotic surgery simulator. Yeah. Um, it's a few years old now, but yes. talk about its development and uh, how it fits into the, 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 uh, the yeah. landscape. Um, so
1: when the robots uh, first became uh, common in uh, hospitals in US, so it's like mid 2000, 2006, 2007, uh, at that time uh, really there were no standalone alone simulator which can help a surgeon to uh, learn how to perform robotic surgery. And you can imagine. Uh, robot. Uh, is a very complex uh, missionary. and uh, somehow I often like to compare that with uh, uh, flying an aircraft. Uh, today most of the pilots learn how to fly on a simulator. But at that time, most of the surgical training uh, on a robot was uh, done on, uh, or, or on a, a pig for example, or on some plastic models or more often uh, with actual practice on human beings. So we developed the first simulator of its kind in the world called ROS, uh, and that simulator allows surgeons to learn basic skills on how to use the robots, input devices, and even perform some uh, complex procedures like uh, tying a suture, tying a knot, uh, and so on and so forth. One of the most innovative thing that we did uh, in the simulation space is develop a technology uh, with my uh, colleague, uh, Dr. Kushit Guru, who's an oncological, oncological robotic surgeon at Russell Park, Cancer Institute in Buffalo. We came up with the idea that uh, we can build simulator based on actual cases that have been done by expert surgeons. So we take those cases and the videos, uh, which is recorded in stereo, and provide an environment where a new surgeon can sit and perform all the steps of uh, that procedure uh, in this module, which we call the host module. Uh, In fact, we received uh, two patents on this technology just recently, and this has opened the world to many new and aspiring surgeons to learn all the steps that needs to go into doing a robotic surgery.
0: Well you uh, meant, hinted a little bit about tumors and of course cancer and this series is on uh, why cancer needs engineering. Just talk about uh, the, the precision mm-hmm. which you can guarantee yeah. or all but guarantee mm-hmm. all the cancerous cells have been removed yeah. uh, thanks to this type of surgery. So. Uh, Having technology interface
1: between the surgeon uh, and the patient actually has opened to many new techniques which have improved the quality or I would say the outcome of uh, cancer surgery. Um, I can give you two or three examples. Let's start with robotic surgery itself. Uh, With the precision that robots can give you and the access that robots uh, can have into going into the human body. We can now access different parts of the body to remove tumor without cutting open the patient. That's a huge improvement. Uh, in the olden days, uh, uh, a prostate surgery, you would cut open the patient, the patient would have uh, three or four days of recovery time, maybe even more. Uh, with robotic surgery, they make small keyhole uh, and, uh, and insert the uh, surgical tools which means that uh, the patient can in fact go home the next day. Uh, Not just that, the surgeon can now see the tumors in a much more magnified uh, in stereo, which help them to uh, do the procedure much better than uh, performing uh, using open surgery. The second, uh, the uh, technique which which I would call image-based surgery uh, have in fact uh, also played a very important role in improving robotic surgery. It's just coming on board, but it has a huge potential. So image-based surgery is basically taking uh, images of the cancer site, sometimes done before the surgery, and using those information at the time when the surgery is being performed. So by merging the image with the operative field of where the surgery is happening, you can now provide more information to the surgeon on the day when the surgery is happening. And that is actually very huge. Um, there are also a new techniques which is coming on using uh, fluorescent light, for example. Uh, you can have a fluorescent dye injected uh, in the site of the surgery. And using a fluorescent uh, light, you can light up tumors. That will show you the margin of tumor. So in certain types of tumor surgery, Uh, when the surgeon has to remove every piece of tumor tissue, uh, these uh, lights can glow and show you where the tumors are and help the surgeon to perform much more cleaner removal of the tumor. That's really becoming a big uh, uh, new way of doing surgery, which is uh,
0: promising to be uh, very, very uh, beneficial to patients. Can you monetize the effectiveness? So... It's Im- improves by a certain percentage, or, or, yeah. or that sort of thing. What um, I have seen is that um,
1: these type of techniques are still somewhat early to give a very large statistical number to show that one is better than the other. Um, what people have shown is that it is as good as the tradition technique, but the benefits are tremendous. Like I mentioned before, that the patient can go home the next day. Uh, The amount of blood loss. These things are so tremendous that even if the outcomes are not very different than open surgery, but the benefit to the patients is immeasurable. So qualitatively, it has been shown that these robotic surgeries are better. Now, does this image-based techniques uh, improve in the surgery? Uh, Again, qualitative results show that yes, but I'm not sure that there is the uh, entire statistical information to show that, uh, that these surgeries are better. Uh, but just knowing how the techniques work, I have no doubt that um, you can claim that some of the small new engineering-based techniques are better in, in uh, identifying and uh, helping surgeons to remove uh, tumors in a better way.
0: So give us an idea of things that you're working on over here and um, where you see the future going in terms of that. How, how, how will it be improved over the next few years? Uh, at our center here,
1: we are working on several projects which are directly related to how engineering can impact cancer. Um, I will probably give you a couple of them. Um, one of them, uh, we are working on a, a, a robotic device using uh, uh, molecular imaging. Uh, This is a a project that I'm working with Dr. Rohit Bhargava uh, from uh, Bioengineering Department, uh, who is also the director of the Cancer Center here. And we are working on a technique where uh, a robot can uh, go and find cancerous cell while the surgery is happening. And this is a technique which can uh, have a huge impact uh, in the future. We think that this will really revolutionize surgery. Uh, the reason is, um, most of the time when biopsy is done today, uh, the tissue is removed using biopsy, and those tissues are later on checked to see if it's malignant tumor or benign tumor. Uh, what we are trying to do is use uh, combined robotics and molecular imaging to identify the tumor is cancers uh, while the surgery is being performed which means there is no waiting time, and surgeons can uh, more precisely identify tumor sites. So this is the direction where we are going. We are trying to develop new kinds of robots to help doing that, new type of molecular imaging technique. So this merger of, uh, again, you know, imaging and the robotics is really going to create new uh, ways of removing cancer, reducing the cycle time from the diagnosis to uh, procedure. Which is very traditional today. Uh, there are other techniques we are working on. Uh, we are uh, developing a, a, a technology which will help surgeons to touch and feel the tumor when the surgery happens in a better way uh, by imaging the tumor using some techniques which we are developing here. So when the surgery is happening uh, what the robot is feeling on the patient, surgeon can uh, feel it remotely. So it gives back the sense of touch that in an open surgery, the surgeons actually can feel it, which robotics quite often, those kind of feeling uh, does not exist today. We are trying to bring back the sense of touch. So these are two technologies
0: that we are very really excited about in our center. Give us an idea of the kind of people you're collaborating with. Yeah. And uh, there's several... Avenues that the, here at the University of Illinois that have I think have enhanced that, um, but I'll let you start with the, the people yeah. that you've uh, are collaborating with, and then go into some of the centers here that I think um, are helping in terms of the collaboration here on campus and using this as a, as an arm to collaborate with people elsewhere. Yes. Um, uh, our center
1: works with uh, quite a few different faculty members. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Rohit Bhargav. Um, his work in imaging uh, is leading to new ways of developing robotic surgery. Uh, that's a very good ongoing research we have. Um, Dr. Victor Gurev, who is a faculty in uh, ECE, he's he's developing uh, very interesting technologies uh, using imaging and using uh, augmented reality system that a surgeon can wear while looking at a patient while performing surgery, shows the tumor markup and things like that. Um, he's another person with whom we are collaborating and trying to merge these kind of technologies. Um, then uh, we, we also work with quite a few people who are working the robotics part of it, uh, like Dr. Uh, Professor Dushan Stepanovich from ISC department, uh, he's a controls person, he's helping us develop a hardware-in-the-loop simulator where we can uh, do simulation, both using virtual reality and using a hardware mode. Uh, that, is, uh, that can be very helpful later on when we try to do more telerobotic surgery, remote surgery where the uh, robot's in a remote area and the surgeon is sitting in a, in a big hospital. Uh, his uh, contributions are trying to make those procedures much more safer. Um, I also work very closely with uh, Dr. Ravi Yair uh, from ECE, Dr. Zbignu, who's a, a scientist. We have been working uh, here on a National Science Foundation grant uh, to make sure that robotic surgery is safer uh, because uh, there have been a number of cases where there have been failures in the robot inside the operating room, we are trying to simulate those kind of failures so that we can build the next generation of robots which are safer. Uh, we are w- working with some doctors at the OSU hospital in Peoria, uh, trying to make procedures uh, safer. Like, for example, we are trying to simulate blood flow, in su- uh, blood uh, loss during a surgery mm-hmm. and trying to help a surgeon recover. If there is a certain, uh, you know, if there is a perforation in the vessel which leads to a lot of bleeding, uh, we are creating uh, a simulator that will help uh, surgeons so to learn how to recover from that. Uh, that helps a really clinician to improve the procedure of surgery.
0: Uh, talk a bit about uh, the ECMO or ECMO um, project that I know that you've been heavily involved with. That's uh, tangentially related, but I, and I think uh, yeah. I want to give you an opportunity to tell a little about that. Sure. So ECMO uh, or extracorporeal uh, oxygenation
1: technique is used to um, uh, very often during uh, heart surgery, for example, or when a patient is suffering cardiac arrest. Uh, and what it does is it is a procedure where you insert uh, a, a catheter uh, into the, for example, in the groin of a patient. Take the blood out and oxygenate the blood and send the blood back into the circulate back into the human body, and that basically uh, uh, maintains the oxygenation level inside the patient, so the patient don't die of uh, brain damage due to lack of oxygen. Uh, but the ECMO procedure itself uh, is is uh, not that easy to perform. In the US, uh, it is not performed that commonly. And some other countries like South Korea, they, they are trained better to do that. So what we are trying to do here is build a simulator, which will teach, uh, you know, like uh, anesthesiologists and uh, other surgeons who do this, vascular surgeons, for example, uh, give them an experience of how do you cannulate, how do you put a needle, how do you take the blood out, uh, and, and look at the efficacy of performing this. Uh, this is kind of hard to do today because you have to find the right patient to learn it. So we are trying to make that in a simulated more.
0: Um, so that is our big project. So these are procedures. I correct me if I'm wrong. That are done. You don't necessarily anticipate that you're going to do them. You, they're yeah. almost done in an emergency type situation, which makes it hard to 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 you know uh, to replicate those. Yeah. Most of the time, ECMO, like you rightly said, is performed because
1: there is an emergency right so for example a, when a heart surgery is going on uh, the patient uh, there is some artificial maybe a pumping something and it's not performing what it's supposed to do and they have to oxygenate the blood uh, cardiac arrest it happens all of a sudden uh, in US most of the time when a patient has a cardiac arrest uh, the first step is uh, doing CPR um, uh, but in Korea, they would actually put an ECMO on a cardiac arrest patient. And there have been some studies which shows that the survival rate on patients with ECMO is higher than uh, just performing CPR or putting an AED device. Uh, so, if there are more, uh, you know, clinicians in the US who will learn how, who how to do ECMO, I think that it will definitely uh, help uh, the hospitals. Uh, also from Military perspective uh, you know, on a roadside, you know, where there's a bomb blast, places like that, uh, you know, if more people know how to do ECMO, I think um, they
0: could be better survival rate. So, a couple questions that, uh, that I get occasionally is it somewhat seems like science fiction that you can do a surgery from another city. Yeah. Um, talk about where we are, where we're headed. I mean, yeah. that's that's that's. Basic reality as uh, you know, we will see those.
1: Yeah. Um, so I would say that the engineering and the technology for remote surgery exists today. Uh, the robotic systems are capable of being used over the network. However, the FDA has not approved surgery like that. Uh, today, the surgeon sits in the same room next to the bed of the robot. Uh, But in principle, you could do the surgery over the internet, that is over the network. Now, there are some challenges that uh, have not been fully overcome, and that's why FDA has not approved it, and I can give you a number of them. Uh, One is having a reliable network. Using the traditional network, as we all know, we have sometimes problems that the network doesn't work. What happens when the network fails during the surgery? So, which means that they need to be more reliable network or dedicated network before we can let these things happen remotely. That's number one. Uh, number two is um, what happens if there is a network lag? There is There are some stability issues, which means that the robot can literally go hey where if the data is not updated in the real time. We are, in fact working on one of those issues right now to stabilize robots if there is a problem in network. So that is one of our interests. Uh, interest. There are other issues also. Uh, for example, cyber security. Um, what if someone hacks into the network when surgery is going on? Can you make sure that robots are absolutely safe? That is a very interesting area of research that needs to be overcome. And finally, there is also this issue. Uh, assume that the surgeon is sitting in a big hospital and the robot is in a rural area. And let's assume everything is fine. And the surgery begins. And halfway through, something goes wrong. Say the robot fails. And you need to stop the surgery and do it the traditional way. Uh, What if the surgeon is sitting in another part of the country? Who's going to do that? So which means that if, if at all it becomes illegal to do that in FDA, you always need a surgeon nearby or the operating room who can take over if anything goes wrong. And many things can go wrong. Like there could be a bleeding which cannot be controlled. It's just one example. And where you may want to convert a robotic surgery into traditional surgery, which actually does happen quite often, even in, uh, in a traditional robotic surgery. So when these challenges are overcome, I'm sure that telerobotic surgery will become a reality in US. And I think that's a great thing to happen because as we know, There are many rural communities in the US which does not have access to good uh, surgeons. Big cities have good surgeons. So why not have a few surgeons sitting and controlling a bunch of robots with the help of uh, staff remotely located? Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Uh, And that's why this technology was invented 20 years back. But we haven't seen that becoming a reality because all the technical issues and clinical issues that needs to be overcome.
0: And uh, finally, I want to, um, because there are p- perhaps misconceptions about the, the Carl Illinois College of Medicine. Uh, I think until it, gets, till it is here, the, I think maybe the outside world may not fully appreciate yeah. exactly what the, uh, that will be. Can you just talk about the significance of yeah. having that here and how it takes all the, uh, the research and the technology yeah. that, that you and others are working across campus and making it a, sure. a, a reality here? Yeah, um, so
1: first and foremost, the College of Medicine, Engineering-based College of Medicine is happening. We have received the uh, preliminary accreditation as of last week, which means that the program is, is ready and, uh, and is starting. We are going to get our first batch of students. Now, the most exciting thing about our program is that we are going to infuse engineering into the curriculum, okay? And which means that that the our students will understand a uh, lot more about healthcare than just treating patients. Uh, they will they will learn uh, how data plays an important role. They will know how to use data to make decisions. They will uh, understand better how technology play an important role in uh, in doing procedure. Uh, how do how do you merge genomics robotics? Uh, imaging-based technologies and understand them at a level that most clinicians will not understand. So they will know how to apply those things. Uh, Another way that we uh, plan to innovate is uh, by introducing um, projects in the course, uh, like a design project. Uh, That will give our our students a unique way of uh, learning medicine by Uh, merging some design ideas uh, uh, some engineering ideas by designing uh, maybe a new um, solution a new surgical tool a new computer software Uh, it could be anything and this would be part of their entire program and uh, and it will end up by in the end by uh, having a real uh, senior design project or some design project and uh, this will help uh, our students to apply engineering knowledge while they're also learning medicine. And so that is going to be huge. Uh, we will also try to teach them entrepreneurship and understand how we will take these technologies and translate them. So we are hoping that all of this combination of uh, you know learning engineering, simulation, design, will create
0: a completely new type of adopters. And uh, finally, as, we, as it relates to cancer, because that's yeah. kind of been our theme, I mean, where do you do you see all this helping to yeah. uh, I don't know if eliminate is the right word but uh, you know how what do you see the effect on on cancer going forward uh, I think that uh, uh, that engineering is helping
1: uh, us to you know defeat cancer uh, that's the bottom line uh, when I say engineering broadly uh, today we talked about robotics and things like that. But there's really a lot of other tools in engineering and science and math that is helping. Uh, Genomics, for example. Um, Genomics is uh, helping find more uh, uh, precise uh, treatment for patients, which is really fine-tuned based on the person's gene, so that uh, the treatment really addresses a specific tumor. That's a huge thing. Uh, Combining that with the imaging technologies that I mentioned, you can now fine tune and search and find um, cancer cells in the body, go, go and chase them and, uh, you know, uh, kill them wherever they are. Uh, there are now small molecular robots uh, that is uh, coming up uh, that could be uh, injected on, on in a patient and those robots can go uh, search for tumor in the body and kill the cells. Uh, those, those are really not science fiction anymore these technologies are really now uh, going to become a part of the treatment procedures in the next five ten years so i think that all of these things put together genomics robotics imaging um, i think that we are really uh, you know putting a big fight against cancer Uh, you know cancer is not going to go away uh, because it's in the end of the day it's a genetic condition Uh, it will still be there but we'll have better tools at fighting them diagnosing them much earlier
0: and killing them if you can. Kesh Kesabatis has been our guest. I appreciate uh, the time. We look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank, Thank you me. very much for, uh, for the interview. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm Mike Kuhn. Thanks for listening. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corpse of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.